Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. But, uh, you know, just like just like garden anywhere, it's, it's a constant experiment and you, you learn and you try to take some notes and then be able to find your notes the next year so you can you know not make the same mistake a second time, which uh, I'm not very good at doing is like always I'm always you know trying to say, all right, yeah, by Valentine's Day, I need to plant my tomatoes. And usually it's about the, the second or third of March that I'm planting them. And then they're always, you know, a couple of weeks from being ready before uh, before it gets too hot in the summertime. So it's. That's from my interview number 162 with Denny Cray, which is a great listen. He talks all about vermiculture. Hey, everyone. So I just want to remind you that this is the most important time to be taking good notes on what's working well, what's not working well, what don't you want to forget come next February and March when it's time to order supplies or do your design You know, what are your favorite seeds or what do you want to plant more of? Do you want more broccoli? Like you might think I am never going to forget this, but you probably are going to forget it. And um, a great way to support the Green Organic Gardener podcast um, would be to get our garden journal. That's got a beautiful butterfly that I took a picture of on our lilac. So it's like a little part of our home and your home. It's got blank pages and line pages and um, it would really support us a lot. Um, so, but most of all, we want you to have good records. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, August 7th, 2020, and I have two guests back on the line who are just going to drop golden seed after golden seed. They've got their own podcast and radio show, and you are just going to love them. And welcome back from the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener, Joey and Holly Beard. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you guys for taking time out of your busy day. We were just talking to pre-chat about how much you guys have going on and how many radio stations across the country you're on and just all this cool stuff. So go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves. So we are um, a couple in Wisconsin. Married. Married. <laughs> we're married. And we we started with producing how-to gardening videos on YouTube, and now we have over 1,700. Yeah. Um, which you can find on our YouTube channel at the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener or on our website at the WisconsinVegetableGardener.com. And a, f- a few years ago, we decided we were going to reach out to radio and get a radio show. We did have uh, solely just a podcast before that. Then we were like, we're going to do radio. Um, our first year, which would have been for the 2016 season. 2017. 20, no, 2017. Yeah, yeah, season one was 2017 here. Right, but before that, yeah. we had started reaching out for sponsors, and we just uh, we just belly flopped. We, we didn't know what we were we doing. We didn't know what we were doing. And we still don't, but it seems <laughs> to be working, yeah. We do know what we're doing, yeah. mostly. But, um, yeah, so then we were like, we reached out to some other great garden radio show hosts, and we're like, what are we doing wrong? How do we obtain sponsors? How do we do this better or more efficiently? I think we're better more efficient yeah. at this point now they didn't and they didn't get the sponsors for us no no no. They, they but they gave us some guidance they were like you're doing this really well you're not doing this you should try this blah 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 so we did that and then in 2017 was the first year of our radio show we were only on one station and then we grew since then and now we're on 16 16 stations, stations across, the country. across the united uh, states yeah. uh in 2020 from boston all the way to southern california and uh we do this all ourselves and Holly works, you work, uh, well, we all work in the house now based on the conditions, <laughs> uh, but she has a full-time job and then I do this full-time and then in the evening we get together and, and look at things that we need to do together 
or it or the projects that would be best if we did together and so we had a we have an understanding of what's going on and then now we have the radio show each week march through october and i was asked why why only march through october well number one we need a break number two when you get to and we've talked to the the garden host that had the shows year round as well as the environmental talk show host in November, December, January, you might as well not even look at ratings. Nobody's listening. Very few people are listening. It's just not, it's not something that people do. Um, so that's why we've taken that 17 weeks off to regroup, uh, reestablish our, our brand, and uh, go get ready to go for the next, next season. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like it's the opposite. Like gardeners are so busy during the garden season that they listen more in the winter. They definitely have time to do more interviews. But well, yeah. uh, what I want to know is, when do you guys have time to garden when you're doing all this? How do you keep your garden going? So we do that on Saturday, Saturday mornings-ish to the afternoon. And then Joey goes, just depending on... Well, explain why, okay. why I'm going to a okay. garden here. <laughs> so we ha- we, where we live, we rent. And we do have a small front yard garden. But our large garden is at my mom's house on, in her yard. And she has nothing to do with this. She lets us just well, run Well, she doesn't wild. want to cut grass. That's right, the, so she doesn't you know. want to cut grass. So she's like, I have this huge yard. Tear it up. So that's... We did. We did. So that's where our garden is. It's about 20 minutes away. So Joy and I prepare, plant, what have you. And then he will go sometimes once or twice a week during the week to harvest or check check on things, whatever. And so that's that's when we have that's when we find our time. And then on Saturday mornings, while we're harvesting, planting, preparing, whatever, I've already got a, a video log figured out of what we're going to film for the next week. Or right, sometimes because we put out videos, um, seven to twelve videos a week based on the, the time of year, uh, what we're going to be discussing in the short videos or the longer videos. So I've already got that planned out and scripted. Well, not scripted, but planned out on how we're going to film that. So as we're doing the project we can film as well and get both things done at the same time. And then I'll edit it throughout the week and, and get it programmed whenever it's supposed to, to come out on social media. Man, you guys are all about systems way to go. That's so Joey. that's Joey. I'm a, I'm, I'm chaos, but Joey keeps us organized, which is good. Um, so what's what is growing right now in your garden at your mom's house? Uh, we've got tomatoes that are doing really well. Peppers are doing very well. Bush beans and pole beans, we, we can't keep up with them, which is a good problem. What we have found, we, we transitioned from traditional ra- a traditional ground garden to majority raised beds this spring. We've got some documentation on that on our, on our, video, on our website on how we went to do such. And then we brought in compost. But what the odd thing was, in certain beds, the tomatoes have done good, the peppers have done good, the green beans have done phenomenal. But the same soil in the same bed, beets didn't do very good. Peas did relatively okay. And the kale has not done, is only a quarter of the size of what the kale is that's in the traditional ground on the other end of the garden. So we're still trying to figure out why that one bed didn't, the the beets and the lettuce and the peas and the kale is not produced what we thought should have produced compared to the other beds. So it's always, sometimes it's a mystery and you got to do a little deciphering and uh, detective work to figure out why one bed of the same soil did not grow things as well as the next bed with the same soil. So, uh, and then we've got 
uh, cucumbers growing. We've got, we're going to be with the transition from traditional ground garden to raised bed garden, we are able to focus on a more thorough fall garden because we're not fighting the weeds. Uh, we've got an irrigation system in now, so the soil is not concrete at this time of year. And um, so we can kind of focus more on turnips and rutabagas and lettuce and radishes that we never really focused on in the fall because at this time the weeds were overtaking, the ground was too dry, and we to be honest, kind of gave up on it, was just going to take whatever the garden gave us at that point and, and be done with it. So that's where we're at. We had a potato harvest a couple of weeks ago. Not as good as what we thought uh, it should be. Yeah, we, we're not really sure what happened. We, you know, we had the raised beds. We figured the soil was nice and loose. Couldn't go wrong. Couldn't go wrong. The stalks, the stalks that came up looked good. We had plenty of flowers on them. It seemed like, okay, we're going to dig up the soil and have uh, treasure of potatoes and it was like womp womp did not happen we just had a few potatoes and we're not sure what happened we found some grubs but I don't we don't know if that has anything to do with it so we're definitely gonna have to do some research and see or determine if we want to grow potatoes next year the last couple of years for us and potatoes were not have not been good so yeah two years ago so where already... did you get the dirt or the compost from uh, we this got was it... fresh dirt that you put in your beds this year Correct. We got it from our local independent garden center. They, they have a supplier, of uh, a well-known national brand, uh, and they've always had phenomenal uh, reviews on it. So we went ahead and purchased that. And for the most part, 90% of the places that we've put it and grown in it, you, it's perfect. It was exactly what we anticipated. It was just those few areas with those few crops that didn't produce the way we thought they should. So, I mean, you're, from what we've, you're never going to have 100% uh, crop you're always going to have some failure or partial failure of crops so it's not a disappointment it's just uh let's try to figure out what we what went wrong so if we can fix it for next year type of thing so it could be like seeds could be time you put it in the ground right could be a variety of different things we Uh, certainly had have struggled with germination rates this year with things and things taking off taking a lot longer to take off or not taking off at all than we thought they would and I wish I had better records of which seeds um, were doing what. Um, but that's interesting that you have so much. But beets, peas, kale. Hmm. Did I lose you guys? No. At, 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 oh. least, at least it wasn't at least it wasn't like a, a tomato failure or a pepper failure or a green bean failure, those are kind of our staples that we look forward to and work very diligently in making sure we have the best crop possible. Kale, okay, we can get that at the farmer's market. Beets, we can pick them up at the farmer's market. It's not a, not a detriment, but if it was a, a larger, more prominent crop that we look forward to, we would be much more upset than what we are. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because like last year, I didn't get any kale and kale was like one of my key crops this year. And where I put the seeds in, I have like one, like there's three short rows and two of the rows are fine. And then the, for some reason, the middle row, only half of it germinated. And it, it seemed to take for so long. And I kept saying, I'm so glad Mike's kale, Mike planted kale down at his mini farm because my kale was a disaster. And now my kale is doing really good and his kale in the mini farm isn't doing anything, but they, they did take a lot longer to take off. But like, I never really liked kale until two years ago. I planted that dinosaur Lacinto kale. Mm-hmm. I am so in love with that. And I never want to have another season without it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what 
the season we you know we had a we here we had a cold spring then it got wet then it got hot and it's just been kind of it's been warm i don't know i don't know what's what the deal is and that's what happens as a gardener as you as you know yeah your chance you hope for the best and you learn from your mistakes and sometimes you just have to work with what nature gives you now do you guys oh the advantage of being a gardener is that we do have resources that we can go to the farmer's market or go to the grocery store. It's not like we are on a multi mega giant farm where if we have a major crop failure, we've lost thousands and tens of thousands of dollars and have to get the insurance company involved and try to uh, recoup what we've lost. So uh, for the big people, right. it's, very, it's very different between us and the big people. We can afford a mistake or a crop failure and it, not, it doesn't hurt us. Yeah. I was just like, last winter was really hard for me not to have any kale or spinach or Swiss chard in my freezer because I realized how much of that I eat during the year. And I don't have a farmer's market locally to go to in the winter or I can hardly afford the, like, I just look at like, I'm like, I cannot bring myself to pay $3 for that bunch of kale. Like, I don't know. It just is hard for me. Um, but what I'm curious about, like, I feel like everybody keeps talking about these nematodes that people are buying and putting in their dirt. Like, have you guys tried any of that or have you done anything like that? No, we have not. Um, I mean, nematodes, there are good nematodes, obviously. I'm assuming that's what people are buying. No, they're buying the bad nematodes because they want, yeah. I just feel weird like about pound, it. Like, like a pound of bad nematodes. I <laughs> totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I... I, I grew up composting and I've done a lot of research about composting and, um, and how you have to just allow nature to do its thing and you have to allow nature to bring the worms in. You bring your worms in naturally. You add compost to your soil. You add organic matter and then the worms come and they build their home there. And I know that nematodes are not worms, but I just think like, do you really want to bring these creatures into your garden? And you don't necessarily, I mean, I guess you could try to find a reliable source, but to me it's like, Joey and I try to live in harmony with our little ecosystem. And I don't know if I, I just feel like there's so many other variables. It would be like bringing wrong. worms in from the bait shop. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it doesn't sit right with me. And I've heard of people adding them and nematodes are good. You know, they do help the decomposition. They do feed the roots of the plants, but I don't, I don't know if it's something that I would personally feel comfortable doing. I totally get that because everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. And, and these are soil experts. And I'm like, I know I should listen, but yet I've gone to Amazon to push by and I haven't clicked. And that's exactly why I'm so glad you voiced that. Oh, heck no. So, um, Amazon, that's for sure. Like I, <laughs> I would buy them from a, from like a, a nematode farm if that's a thing or whatever like well like whenever like you like source. if we ever buy a, when we buy a kabucha scoby we buy it from the source we just don't buy it randomly from xyz you know company that has a bunch of other stuff on their website yeah well i don't know i found some brand that seemed pretty reliable we'll see what happens uh because some somebody sent me a picture of like they're like i bought this because you posted the amazon link in the show notes and i asked the guests who had recommended them i'm like are these good and she said yes yeah. so we'll, well see maybe. what happens i actually the biggest one of my biggest trigger it was just the cost like it was like 20 dollars that i didn't have that day but yeah i don't know i keep hearing about them but i i i've always felt like you too and my husband's like that too he's adamantly he's like we're building compost. 
but we just never have enough compost for the size of oh, yeah. farm never, that we have. Ever and does. then this yeah. year I put most of the last batch of compost we had on a crop of buckwheat that I was trying to grow where I want to put flowers next year, but it was like covered in grass. So I put like the cardboard down and then I put all the compost on it and put the buckwheat and it's growing like crazy. But my husband's like, that buckwheat was supposed to go on these carrots and these beets here. And that's part of why I think he's struggling this year. So I don't know. It's all lessons. It's a miracle. The man's still married to me. <laughs> well, and, and you're also in an area where you're the, the convenience factor of running down to pick a uh, truck load up of compost from the garden center is much more of a challenge than what it is for us or, or other people who garden because of the, the area that you're living in. Yeah, we actually drove like 100 miles to get we did buy two big giant those like huge white things of soil. Mm -hmm. Um, but that wasn't enough. <laughs> it's never enough. I always tell people, I'm like, start building compost. You're throwing gold in the garbage. What are you doing? Like, I can't understand people don't compost because we so desperately need it at my house. And it just makes me cringe. Anyway, tell us about something that didn't work the way. Oh, well, we, we kind of talked about that. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Today's podcast is sponsored by Forager Project family-owned 100% organic plant-based food company based in California dedicated to making the world a better place than they found it. Forger crafts dairy-free yogurts, kefirs, milks, and sour cream using their hero ingredient organic cashews for the creamiest base for all of its products. Forger Project is passionate about creating healthy organic plant-based food and they are equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote and participate in our democracy. They've provided voting resources and information for you at forgerproject.com forward slash vote and on social at Forger Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. And now let's get to the root of things. Well, do you guys have a favorite, a least favorite activity to do in the garden or something you got to force yourselves to get out there and do? Weeding, weeding, we despise weeding. Well, and that's why we went to the raised beds. Uh, the oh, let's hear that story. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we, so we have about eighteen hundred square feet in the garden, and about eighteen hundred square feet of it was weeds <laughs> by August. So and Joe, so what would happen is that at the beginning of, <laughs> on, on a normal year, on a normal year, <laughs> Joe, beautiful Joe, crop, beautiful, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, bumper crop of weeds. So Joey would go in the spring, <clears throat> and he would go and turn the soil over, pull the weeds out, diligently pull the roots of the weeds out to help reduce this this weed problem. He would turn the soil over with a garden fork, blisters on his hands. We would do what we wanted, what we needed to do to help prevent the weeds. And then last year was like we had had it. We just lost. The, the more thorough and diligent in which I would weed with the garden fork and removing the roots midway through the season the more intense the weeds got do not understand why i do know that weed seeds do sit dormant in the soil and some can sit there for up to 80 years uh but the more diligent we and I, you know i would put 20 you know 18 20 hours a weekend leading up to as well as trying to balance everything else out weeding for three or four or five hours a day trying to work these 10 by uh, three by 10 beds uh, three foot wide by 10 foot long or four foot wide by 10 foot long beds 
and I would go down eight, 10 inches and work. To, and it just never was, never did benefit us. Uh, and then at the end or midway through last year, we decided, okay, clearly what we're doing is not working as well as we want. We're not going to use glyphosate and spray the garden to kill the weeds. Uh, so we need to figure out something else. So we looked at our options and raised beds. Uh, we did the financial, you know, number crunching stuff and it, and it was going to work for us. So we invested in the lumber and we did use treated lumber. People are very, uh, both sides of the fence on that. However, treated lumber is treated with a copper now instead of an arsenic as it was in the late 90s. And the different studies that we have shown uh, indicated that you're going to consume the same amount of copper by drinking water out of copper water pipes as you will that would leach from the board into the soil into your plant. Nevertheless, we bought uh, the treated lumber and we did five beds, two four foot wide by 16 foot long beds and three four foot wide by 12 foot long beds, figuring out somewhere around almost 400 square feet, something like that. And then we had large grow bags and other elevated raised beds in which we had constructed uh, in past years that we reconfigured in the on top of the old traditional ground garden. And that, and then we figured out the soil we wanted, it was delivered. And it was all, it, it was, it cost money up front, but with anything in, in life, it's an investment. It wasn't, it's not just a one and done, throw it away. This will be utilized for many years to come. And there'll be years when which we will need to top off the beds, invest in a couple of more yards of compost and fill the beds that way in order to uh, revitalize some of the soil in addition to using the compost that we're making ourselves. So, but how did you figure that this was going to save you the weed problem? Um, we, we looked at it as we did a lot of video studying, a lot of reading, and by um, the weeds in which we had, if we could smother them with the compost and cardboard in that instance, uh, it would reduce not having to till, not having to fork the soil or weed the soil at all. So um, I think we've spent, what, Holly, two, like four hours all together building the beds and then putting the soil in the beds, and that was it. Now we just- probably more like six six I hours think. yeah and and now all we do is the occasional walk through and pull some weeds that have come up through the bed or been dispersed by air or birds and that's all the weeding that we've done uh anything else we just mow around uh the elevated raised beds and the grow bags and it's made things a whole lot better yes it's reduced the size of the garden tremendously but also with the size of the 1800 square foot garden and the 1800 square foot of bumper crop weeds, we were not enjoying gardening at all. It was more of a task, more of a job, more of a, okay, we've got to go do this. This is not fun. So we had to change it up because it wasn't fun and we needed, if we, if it wasn't fun, we wasn't going to do it anymore. Man, I knew you guys were just going to drop golden seed after golden seed. So on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Uh, the fav my favorite activity would be harvesting beans. Uh, that's fun. Uh, tomatoes, everybody says, oh, I like harvesting tomatoes, so I'll leave that for somebody else. But beans, I like doing that. Yeah, you, you like harvesting beans. Um, I, like, I like harvesting root, root crops, like pulling the root crops out. And I think that's always interesting to see what's underneath the soil. I also, I like planting beans. So I guess. Well, yeah, you did a good job this year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
What uh, do you like about harvesting beans? Like I, that is like one of my least favorite jobs. What it, it, you can pack a lot of beans in a very small area. You can get nine bush bean plants in one square foot, and that produces at when they start putting beans on that produces a lot of beans in a very small area. So I like to harvest them and then see the quantity that I'm getting out of a very small area. Whole beans you can do eight per square feet, uh, so you can get a lot of beans, and that's the that's what to plant uh, a lot in a small area and they produce heavy and we can have something that we can put up for winter. Beans, yeah, you could go buy at the grocery store at the farmer's market, but if you can grow, um, you know, 12, 15, 20 pounds, if not more of beans in a small area, you've saved yourself a lot of money and you know how they are grown and uh, how they were preserved. Yeah, well, one of the staples at our house is homemade vegetable soup that has homegrown potatoes, homegrown carrots, and homegrown green beans. And Mike, but I just like, maybe it's because his are down in the mini farm and there's just roast. So he cans at least 52 to 100 cans of green beans a year. So we have them for that soup. And just to me, I am always looking at him like that's backbreaking labor, but I don't know. I'm not sure his like he they're in as small of a maybe he could crowd them together more than you are. Uh, um but but yeah, he loves it. I mean, it's true, you do go down there and I just hate that they're in the ground and the bending over part. Mm. Uh, and there are yeah, a lot. If, if you have mobility issues, the the investment of a higher raised bed to where it it's at waist high. Uh, makes the harvesting a lot easier, but also there's a bigger investment uh, in that. And we don't we don't can our green beans. We've chosen to freeze our green beans because we just don't find one. You have to pressure can them, and two, we find it just doesn't have the the crispness that we yeah, like. We like the crispness when we pressure can them, which is fine. And it, not not everybody has room in their freezer, but we like to just blanch ours briefly for a couple minutes. And then just freeze them, and that's how we prefer to do it. Just like Joy had mentioned, because then we we let them thaw when we're going to cook them. We're going to we let them thaw, and then we saute them, or we put them in a soup or whatever. But to, for us, it's just um, it's just what we prefer. Yeah, well, we've been looking for a chest freezer for a long time, and also, so I've been like following like an organic oasis guidebook that I wrote. Like, I'm really big on like if you're starting a garden, start in your fridge and your like and look at your food. What do you buy? And like, we buy a ton of frozen peas. So Mike grew a ton of like the shelling peas, and he froze those the other day, and he said to me, maybe we should freeze the green beans, like. He, and he must have seen something online. And I was like, well, yeah, frozen green beans are going to taste better and they're going to hold their thing better. But I I don't, can't remember. He just, he's like a natural canner. Like when he's doing it to me, I'm like, you're the mad scientist and keep that thing away from me and I hope it doesn't explode in my face. But of course, I'm afraid of his chainsaw too. So I'm well, kind bring, of, I'm a nervous good, Nelly. <laughs> you bring up a good point. Look in your freezer, look in your pantry because we do, we, we've talked to gardeners and like, I have a problem growing okra, and, and Holly or my first questions are, do you like okra? Well, not really, but how do you grow it? So, And then why do you grow it if you don't like it? Now, some people will say, oh, because I see it on TV or whatever the case is. Other people, they have more of a, um, a connection with my grandmother grew it. I don't really like it, but I grew it in memory of her type of thing. I understand that, but if you just yeah, don't like exactly. it and you're growing it, why are you wasting that space? We can't grow broccoli and cauliflower for nothing, so we've grown tomatoes in that space so we just buy the broccoli and cauliflower at the grocery store the farmer's market and move on with our lives you know 
Yeah. Another thing I've been talking about a lot on my show is like right now is the time to be recording what you're wishing you were growing more yeah. of and what you what's not working right. What do you wish you did differently? Because you are going to forget. I guarantee you next March, you're going to think I'm never going to forget this. I carried this hose down here 20 times. I don't want to plant in this bed where the hose is like, you're going to forget. It's all going to be like, oh, these beets taste so good. I'm so glad I grew those beets. <laughs> and none of the troubles are all going to melt away. And so it's important you record that. And like, I'm surprised at how much I'm learning about like looking at my what we eat things like I thought I pretty had a pretty good tap on that but I really didn't so all sorts of lessons you're always learning and we, and we carry a piece of technology in our pocket all the time just take pictures it, and then you can go back and look at yeah. what date you took the picture on but take pictures uh and I always take you know 10 times more pictures than what I think I'm going to need one so I can review and two so I can always have something for you know whatever project I'm, I'm trying to do, I always have imagery for that particular topic and, and show, but uh, yeah, keep any, just do short videos and, and do self documentations on your phone, 10, 15 seconds. Hey, I put beans in bed three in, in 2020. They didn't do any good. I'm not going to do that again. Note it and then save it in your phone and, and be sure you review it next year. Oh, there's so much to keep in good records. Like where are you going to rotate? Or like I told Mike, so I planted my very first fall crop of broccoli seedings, like my very first broccoli seeds that are growing into plants. I'm so excited. This is like a new thing for me. And, and I'm just about to put them in. And my plan was I was going to put them in the bed where I put the buckwheat and buckwheat is supposed to be a 30 day crop from seed to flower. And I, and so I was looking the other day, I'm like, when did I plant those? It's got to have been 30 days. And so I was so glad I took a picture of the day I planted the seeds because now I can see it's not a 30-day crop in Montana. It's more like a 60-day crop. And so now I have to figure out where am I going to put those broccolis. Anyway, uh, what's the best gardening advice you guys have ever received? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. What's I don't know. I think... Um, I think probably, I don't know. What do you think, Joey? Well, you, you know, always, always look at your garden. Do not assume that everything's okay from a distance. Uh, we talked to a, a gardener in Southern California many, many years ago on a podcast, and we asked him that question. His, his response was, get in your garden, lay down, and look up. You're going to see much more good and bad things when you're at ground level, at plant level, a lot of bugs like to hide underneath leaves. You're going to see damage underneath the leaves. You're going to see uh, good what flowers. So get down to the plants level and then look at them versus just standing in the yard going, oh, everything looks good. They look green. I'm going to go back in the house. Um, another another one I would have to say is mulch. We didn't mulch for, for I don't know, probably a couple of years. Right. And then we started to mulch, and that makes a huge difference. It suppresses weeds. It holds in moisture. It shades the roots. Um, yeah, it's definitely very, it's a very good thing. What do you guys use for mulch? We use anything from straw to, uh, we collect our leaves in the fall. We hold on to those. We take grass clippings, but we make sure that they are dry and they are seed free and then they haven't been, you don't want to use grass clippings that have been sprayed with any sort of chemicals. So we use that. So it's mostly straw. Um, leaves and then also the grass clippings 
I used grass clippings for the first time this year. It worked a lot better than I thought it would be. I didn't let them dry either. And Patty Armister came to my house the next day, just right after I put them down. She's like, wow, I can't believe you just put that right on there all green. She was like, she's like picking it up and she's like, I want to see if it's all mushy underneath, but it's so dry here where we are. They were brown within 24 hours. <laughs> it didn't matter. And so they're working good. as It was so easy. Like the other thing Patty was disgusted with was how much lawn. Like, I think she's still lying awake at night going, how can Mike and Jackie have that much lawn? But we live in the woods. She lives out on the east side where it's plains. We have to worry about forest fires. So we have, like, our lawn is like fire break in a lot of places. We we definitely can add some more. I mean, there is a lot of lawn, but so I have all this lawn. So I was like, I asked Mike one day, I'm like, can I just put this the grass clippings down on? And he's like, sure, try it. And I was worried that they would like, grow but they didn't it worked great so use what you got uh on the grass that was awesome advice you guys on the grass clippings you want to make sure you don't have any seed pods on those grass grass uh when you cut it you just don't want to go in the ditch and knock a bunch of stuff down and bring in the garden because those seeds will disperse and uh you got enough problems with weeds you don't need to to bring more in yeah no this was just we we had a lot of rain all the way through like the middle of July and then it finally quit and then it's been hot ever since but up until then so I was like making I, we just had we still have two wheelbarrows full outside that are full of grass clippings just drying out that I can't even add to the compost because the compost is so full of grounds and then we have not cut the grass in two two weeks now or that was probably the last time I cut the grass like the middle of July because it's just it's turning brown and crackly and the taller you leave it the greener it will stay the longer anyway uh do you guys have a favorite tool? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what could you guys not live without? I would have to say it's our flat, flat tying garden fork. Um, we use that for a lot of stuff, whether it be just like picking through the soil, harvesting root crops. Um, we used it for moving stuff. So either that or just a good, a good garden spade or shovel. We'd have to actually, I think we would have to pick those two. Yeah, garden tools. spade and, and, and a garden spade and a we'd garden have to, form. We'd have to ask for it. We one would, one, we per, one tool per person. Yeah, 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 there we go. One tool per person. So, Joey, are you taking the spade and I'll Holly's take, taking I'll, the garden fork? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, uh, we'll, I'll take the spade. Yeah. <laughs> I totally, I agree. The garden fork has been like a, and like somehow I found one on sale for $99 and I can't even believe I hesitated for 24 hours. Cause I, if I, like, I think about if I was going to produce anything, I would produce these broad fork, garden forks, whatever, Mm -hmm. because that is the best thing ever. I love that thing, which I never even heard of till I started my podcast and one of my guests recommended it. Um, Aaron and Alethea. We use the hay fork. To dig potatoes because we didn't uh, we just what we had available and that doesn't work so well because those tines are very right. uh, not not very strong so you definitely want to invest in a good tine uh, garden fork flat tine garden fork and once you start using it and you feel resistance don't keep bending it because you've busted tine off and then you have to buy a new one like we did no way man you must but, be strong <laughs> but the first one we bought we bought at a yard sale for five dollars and it was Ooh. already pretty old at that point, yeah. too. And we just had to replace ours this year. We, we didn't replace it. We're just using that well, one for the traditional ground dig and yeah. the, the nice one for the raised beds. That's, yeah. I mean, add it, out, add it to the family, whatever. 
harvesting now that we have two forks designated for two different type of harvesting uh, procedures. I, I guess we've moved up in the world. I think so. Yeah, I can totally relate. I want one for the mini farm and one for the garden beds up by the house. I totally agree. I like two of everything. I'm like, I want two wheelbarrows and I want two compost piles and two pitchforks and two. Of, um, and I think we bought, Mike bought us each a shovel, a long handled shovel this year. So now we have like four. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we're constantly just like he'll get down to the mini farm and be like, oh, I left that up at the house and uh our his mini farm. It's not very far, but it's he certainly gets the miles in going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what's your guys' favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden? Um, I think mine is probably I make this like tomatoey gravy pasta. Is that with the cheese and the noodles? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I take I take um I take butter and then I take cherry tomatoes and I cut the cherry tomatoes in half. I can't tell you how much cherry tomatoes, just a bunch. That's okay. <laughs> but probably one, two, one and a half to two cups. I would conservatively. Say probably like I don't know, like about a quart size jar of tomatoes. That sounds yeah, good. Okay. Um, and then I and then I saute those saute those down. I add uh, garlic. You can add Italian seasoning, whatever you have that makes it like Italian deliciousness. And then um, cook that down. And then I usually add shrimp. But if you don't eat shrimp, you can add whatever protein you would like. You don't have to add protein, but I like the protein. And then cook that together. And the butter kind of reduces, it kind of flavors the tomatoes and it gives it like a nice texture. And then we put that over the pasta, whatever kind of pasta you want. We're not fancy here. And then um, we put Parmesan, fresh uh, Parmesan cheese over the top of that. And it's just really good. Mm, that's one of my favorite meals. That sounds so good. How about you, Joey? Uh, I keep it simple. I always grew up with, well, there's two different things. Uh, just slicing tomatoes across and about a half inch thick and with salt and pepper. That's how we that was a that was a dish growing up, and then also taking zucchini and cutting them about uh, quarter inch slivers, uh, uh, circles, and then pan frying them. You roll them in egg, and then you roll them in cornmeal, and then you pan fry them in grease, and you brown them on both sides, and you eat them that way. Now Holly doesn't like that at all for probably a variety of reasons, but you you had it, but you didn't care much for it. I don't. What is the last time you made that for me? It's been a couple of years, but I don't make oh. it for you because you don't like it. Well, maybe you should make it again. Okay, we can okay, do that. We'll give it a whirl. All right. I like I like zucchinis when they're small like that, like uh, the size of a quarter. Mm-hmm. I always say I put zucchinis on everything. That sounds good though. Egg and cornmeal. I haven't tried that. Well, also the <sighs> other thing is uh, mock zucchini when we can uh, uh, when we have an abundance of zucchini. Uh, Holly, you can explain what mock zucchini is. Yeah, zucchini is like uh, it's the mushroom. It's the, or the tofu, maybe. Yeah, the gardening world. I don't know. Absorbs flavor. It absorbs flavor. So we've made um, we've made mock pineapple, canned pineapple with zucchini. So basically, it's like it tastes like pineapple. It kind of looks like pineapple, but it's zucchini, and you can it. And you just basically are using pineapple juice and some sugar to flavor that zucchini. You let it soak, and it soaks in all the flavors. Um, mm. relish is another one so it tastes just like regular relish but it's zucchini relish and then we haven't tried this yet but we're at some farm stand like I don't know how many years ago and this lady told us about this mock apple pie and instead of using apples they use zucchini 
Oh, I have had that. Yeah, and um, and it was just like an apple pie. So zucchini is uh is multi versatile. I was gonna tell you in my um in the organic oasis guidebook that Mike and I wrote in the back chapter, there's recipes, and I have a recipe exactly like your tomato gravy pasta, except for I use zucchini noodles, but it has the shrimp and everything. <laughs> it's uh that might be something you might want to try sometime yeah. uh i was surprised because i thought the zucchini noodles would get all mushy and soggy and they didn't they held up awesome uh how about a favorite internet resource where do you guys like to surf on the web well whenever we have a question that come comes in or we have a question ourselves that we do not know the answer we always first go to a university extension website uh, uh those locations uh, are the best source for adequate and cor uh, correct information. Uh, also, we can go to, uh, there's a couple of very uh, popular uh, garden myths websites that actually have done the studies and the science to show that this is true or this is not true. Uh, those are two, or, or a farmer's almanac. Those seem to be three really good resources that if we can't find it there, then we've got to do some hard digging because there may be not an answer to that question if those three sources do not provide it. The Farmer's Almanac website is is pretty good, especially if you can get past all of the ads. Um, that's a little frustrating sometimes. <clears throat> it takes a while. Oh, I hate ads. I know. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, ah, I just want information. I'm waiting for the stupid ad to load. And then there's like a video that pops up and you're like, no. So, oh, and it's just getting worse and worse all the time, isn't it? Like YouTube now, you can't even watch a video. And forget it if you click the wrong video by accident, and then you sit there and watch the 30-second ad and then have to change videos. Yeah, unfortunately. Sorry. Farmer's Almanac. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, that's a good website if you can get questions for it. Um, and then for canning or any sort of food preserving is the National Center for Home Food Preservation. I have been giving this link out, this website out, to so many people this year because so many people are like, hey, I'm gardening now. Now I want to can. I want to preserve this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's, mm. it's very helpful. It's it's safe. Like it tells you how to do stuff safely. It gives yeah. guides. Like I have X amount of tomatoes and I want to make this. Or I want to can these. How many jars do I need? And like, it just, it has all of that information. Like I live in the mountains and I'm at this elevation. Elevation. Yeah. So I need this. Like, well, we obviously don't live in the mountains. But, but example. But yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like, oh, it's just beautiful. So there's that. And then if you want to get like fancier for your canning recipes, you know, the ball, ball canning website, which is, I think it's freshpreserving.com. Um, and even Better Homes and Gardens is a trusted resource. But that's the biggest thing is like, I've had people message me and they're like, I have this pickle brine that my friend uses and is it safe? And I'm just like, I don't know, but you need to do this. Like, I'm not going to assess your brine. However. Well, people get angry at Holly when, <laughs> back when we used to do garden talks, back whenever that was. Oh my and, gosh. and online, whenever they said, well, here's how I can. Is this okay? And Holly would say, no, this is, but I'm doing it this way. Isn't it okay? And Holly would never, would, will not give them the gratification that, yeah, whatever you're doing is fine. Just keep doing it because she goes by canning as a science. And if you don't do it right, you can be sick or you can die from it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Huh, that's crazy. Well, good for you for sharing those resources for sure. Yeah, and Mike has one book and he always pulls it out and follows that recipe exactly. Um, yeah, it's really important to keep it safe. But that being said, if you do it safely, it is 
um, a great way to preserve your, you know, stuff from your garden, especially if you're like us and don't have a root cellar and don't have a big enough freezer space and stuff. Like my mom is just, she doesn't want to have anything to do with stuff that people are canning. <laughs> She's like, ah, no, you could get sick from that. Um, I think some people like, even for me, um, I grew up in the city and canning, canning was for the country folk. And um, yeah, it took me a while to adjust to it, but now I really, now I really love it. But I took classes for the rec department and the lady who taught was the, the master canner for the county. And she was just like, you know, as long as you do it safe and you follow the directions and you use a proper recipe, a proven tested recipe, you're fine. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been eating canned food that Mike's been canning for years. So, uh, how about, a wait, I wanted to ask you a quick question. What about the garden myth websites? Like what's an example of a garden? Like is it actually like gardenmyth.com? org or dot com or I, I, or? I don't know the actual terminology but if you would go to your favorite uh, search engine and type in garden myths uh typically it'll come up in one of the top uh search engine top searches i think they're based out of canada but uh like they will do um a potato tower myth you know potatoes don't sprout uh tubers along the side of um the, the stalk all the way up if you do it in a box uh, Holly, what are some other ones that uh, that we've looked at? I saw this potato box thing the other day that someone was like, will you build me this? And I had like a door where you could harvest the potatoes underneath. And I was like, this just doesn't look right. Like, how are you going to get the potatoes on the far side? All your dirt's uh -huh. going to come out. You're going to destroy it. Like, it just looked like a horrible idea. So, well, that's cool. I always like that gardening know-how. I feel like they're pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to have to check out some garden myths. That's a good one. Another one is like, if you so like the three sisters garden method where you plant the corn with mm -hmm. the beans um the like obviously the beans are going to grow up the the stalk of the corn the squash is a good ground cover like that's basic three sisters but then there's also the supposed scientific side that the beans are adding nitrogen to the soil and it's been scientifically scientifically proven that the nitrogen so the the the, the theory is is that the beans add the nitrogen to the soil to feed the corn but there's no scientific proof that the nitrogen moves through the soil to the roots of the corn to feed the corn. So you can do the three sisters method from an aesthetic purpose. However, like the science in the soil is not, is not true. Oh, isn't that interesting? Uh, okay. So how about a favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine? Well, we, uh, if you're interested in finding a good book uh, for year-round gardening, Nikki Jabor out of Shibor, uh, Nova, Scotia. Nova Scotia, Canada, she's got a very good book. It's called The Year-Round Gardener, uh, Year-Round Vegetable Gardener, and uh, it, she goes all year long. And if, if she can grow stuff in Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, many of us here uh, in other parts of the world in the state should have minimal amount of problems. She does it outside. She does it in uh, Low cold time. frames right cold frames yeah the whole deal i um, love that book it is like highlighted like crazy like i go through that but that's one of my favorite gardening books excellent and, resource. and the website is garden my uh garden com is the website that people can go to and they've got just bukus of myths that has been debunked or proven to be you know all, all different types of topics when it comes to gardening oh wait what was it garden what garden myths.com oh it is okay and that's not nikki's no, no, that not that to be is, confused. Uh, okay, no, yeah, cool. Okay, but yeah, Holly, around the year-round vegetable gardener. Holly, you have a, a, a book, canning reference, something of like that. 
Um, so one of my canning books that I have used and is well loved is called You Can Can, and it's put out by Better Homes and Gardens, and it's got really fun recipes. It's got um, I think that's the one my cat was. It, <laughs> it's really fun, and if you've never had tomato basil jam, you need to make. If you like tomatoey basilly stuff, um, I recommend that. That's in there, and then there's another favorite in there that we like. I can't remember though. I think it was like. Um, like it, oh, it was a chili starter. So mm -hmm. like you take your, whatever your protein would be for your chili and then you have the chili starter and then voila, you have your chili. So yeah, so there's, there's a ton of other recipes in there, but like it's fun. And then it, that also gives really good canning directions to safety, what have you. Um, and then there is a guide as well for like X amount of tomatoes for whatever you're trying to do. So there's, um, there's some fun stuff. And yeah, that would probably be my, my favorite canning book. Awesome. Well, you guys have shared so much today. Is there anything you want to say before I get to my final question? Or Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? I think for me personally, just in larger cities, it's, it is becoming more common to have farmers markets, things like that. But I think just the education of the importance of thinking about where your food comes from. And I know in the city of Milwaukee, there's many organizations like that where there's teens that volunteer to help set up markets um, and they get certain credit, things like that. There's a lot of stuff done on a high school level, but I think at an elementary school level and and up from that, um, I think it's important. I think that children need to understand that your food, on average, travels 1,500 miles from farm to plate if you go to the grocery store and purchase it. And I think that that will help having that knowledge, <clears throat> whether it be just knowing that or having some sort of knowledge of growing or what's in your soil, how there's a whole ecosystem in your backyard. I think that would definitely just help creating a greener world altogether and and for me uh last time i looked at it and it's been a while one out of four kids go to goes to bed hungry in the united states uh one of the most uh fortunate countries in the world where food is very very abundant uh that should not be and there we need to work in a way in order to prevent not only kids going to bed hungry but adults as well whether it's a year like 2020 or a quote-unquote a normal year, uh, people are always going to bed hungry, and that should not be um, that way in a country like the United States. Oh, that's so true. One of the things I was going to say, Holly, I feel like I've had a lot of people talking about lately is how a lot of our produce is coming from overseas. It's not grown in our country. And people talk a lot about the subsidies to the farmers in the United States. But I also have been thinking lately, like if our food is really coming from that far away, and they talk about the nutritional value of a tomato or whatever you're eating is decreasing because they're picking it off the vine. It's not ripening on the vine. It's probably also getting subsidized by like tax breaks to the gas and oil companies that keep our price of gas so low that we can afford to import this food from other countries because I don't know it seems like a lot of people have been mentioning that on my show lately and I was just thinking 
the other day. Well, maybe it's because gas, I mean, I'm probably the only person in America who thinks the price of gas is ridiculous, that I'm paying $2.25 to fill up my car in 2020. And I know, I appreciate it. I drive more than anybody. But at the same time, I just think if we had a tax like even 10 or 20 cents a gallon, so I was paying $2.40 a gallon, um, what could we do with that to help our environment? What could we do that to feed kids so we don't have kids going hungry? Like it just makes no sense to me. I remember in 2009, I had this job in Kalispell that summer and it was, so it was 65 miles and I was paying $4.75 a gallon for gas. I don't know why it was so high that summer, but to me, I'm just appalled at the cheap price of gas. And I know I'm alone in this thought and I'm totally off base, but anyway, I think what you guys said is so important and you guys have been such eloquent and just knowledgeable, super guests today. And tell everybody, where do they find your radio show and your website with all these awesome videos and everything? Our website is the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener.com. The Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener.com uh, contains 18, 17, 1800 uh, garden, 1800 garden videos as well as all past radio shows, our shows heard uh, in multiple cities across the country. If you're not in one of those cities, um, Boston, Kansas City, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Milwaukee, uh, Delta, Utah, Salt Lake City, Banning, California, Chippewa Falls, Chippewa Falls, Falls uh, Delta, Illinois. Southeast, West, uh, Southeast uh, Michigan, uh, you can certainly find all the replays on our website under the Season 4 tab, and you can catch up on previous seasons on the 1, 2, and 3 tabs at the top of the page. Uh, you can always email us at gardentalkradio at gmail.com with your garden questions. And our, our uh, 800 number is always available. If you'd prefer to talk to us, you can leave us a message. We'll call you back at 1-800-927-SHOW, 1-800-927-SHOW, 24-7-365. That number is available, and we will get you an answer to the problem that you have. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much for being such awesome guests and sharing so much knowledge with us. And have a wonderful day. Well, thank you very much for having us on the program. Thank you. What's the best gardening advice you've ever received or best farming advice you've ever received? Always keep very, very meticulous records. Um, you may think you're going to remember how long it took something to germinate or how <laughs> quickly something flowered and fruited or how much you harvested. And you'll say, yeah, I remember that. This. This, this is totally something that I'm going to remember in you know four to six months. Um, and that's never the case. Um, you're not going to remember what day it was. You're not going to remember how much. A lot of things are going to fall by the way. You'll forget a thing or two. And keeping really meticulous records is a, is a good way um, to plan for the next season. Uh, like I was talking about earlier, um, it all comes down to good planning. Um, it's really, really helped. It's really, really helpful to keep track of what works and what doesn't. Um, like I could not tell you, especially once it gets like super busy in the middle of the season, I couldn't tell you what I was doing on July 15th of last season if I didn't have a notebook to look back to. That's from my interview number 222 with Gabe Siciliano, another rock star millennial who says his notes are crucial. Don't you want to get a journal? Hey, listeners, do you have a place to keep track of everything that's going right in your garden and everything that's not quite going the way you thought it was going to and the things that you don't want to forget next February and March? Because I guarantee you, you're going to think, I am never going to forget this. I have done this 20 times this year, and I'm going to make sure I do it right next year. And next March, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, what was that again? By the time you're done harvesting everything and your season is over, there's nothing more important you can do than be taking notes now. 
which seeds worked the best? Which areas do you want to change? Where do you want to put your irrigation? Where do you need to get row cover? Like all those little notes that are going through your mind. Like even if you just write in your journal once a week, just go sit in your garden and be like, oh yeah, this or that, or you could keep it with you. But anyway, my point is, hey, do you want to help the Green Organic Gardener podcast? Because I made a beautiful journal. It's got a butterfly on a lilac that I took a picture of so you could have a piece of your garden, our garden, in your garden, a place to keep your notes. It's got, uh, I think, 135 um, pages that are either blank or lined because those are my favorite kind of journals because I like to have the lines to write and the blank pages. And so you can support the show, but most of all, you can have good records. My guests have said frequently that's their favorite tool, most valuable tool, good records. Um so, and it would support the show. Hey everyone, have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on cashews. Anyway, so they turn these cashews into sour cream, cottage cheese, milk, yogurts. Um, they're really delicious. They sent me samples, actually, in a FedEx box with ice. It was so cool. Um, they're absolutely delicious. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote. Or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.